The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. John E. Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan debt. I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money, managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you create better financial habits, envision your long-term goals, and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of John E. Sistina and Company are on deck to show you the way. I am your host, Tracy Bennett, and today we are going to lay out a discussion about a pretty serious topic, something that not many people really have on the radar to financially plan for, um, but we really feel like it's an important conversation to have to give you some good tips and, and uh, information to take away. Uh, planning, financial planning for divorce, so navigating financial complexities uh, during divorce proceedings. Joining me today are certified financial planners. Paul Hammock and Tony Payne. Um, and we're just kind of going to go right into it, guys. A serious conversation. Sure. Uh, nobody walks down the aisle to say, oh, oops, you know, five years later, I decided I don't want to play with you anymore. So um, some people start out combining their finances. Some people don't. I mean, it's it, it, there's a lot to talk about here. So uh, I'm going to kind of uh, throw you some softballs and uh, we can kind of get into it. All right. So let's start first by explaining the importance of financial planning in divorce. I mean, is that something, I mean, I've been married 37 years this year. And Congratulations. I've, I've yeah, never, that's thank awesome. You, thank you. I've never planned or we've never planned for divorce. So, you know, there's sure. never been a plan B per sure. se. Is that something you should have? I it's kind of a weird, weird answer, right? If you're planning for divorce, does, does that almost imply that you're looking for whatever opportunity would prompt a divorce? So I don't know that you should plan so much for divorce so much as plan for yourself in the event something happens anyway. So I know one of the big ones is just having your own credit. So in a lot of cases, you think married couples, one may manage the finances, maybe a little bit more engaged, maybe a little bit more involved. They might just be the one with the credit card. And just maybe in their name, they're building the credit score, doing all those habits. The spouse might never have had that credit card. They might never have needed to really spend the money or do that. And post-divorce, they may find that, hey, I'm starting over, not only financially, but now I don't have credit either. And that just makes things a lot more difficult. So you should plan really just for yourself. How can I grow better myself through this process? And then if that worst case scenario happens you're already prepared, at least in those senses, if that makes sense. So you're kind of creating a, uh, you're establishing a foundation that's from step, from step one. Yeah. Brick, so almost brick, brick number one. Yeah. So a, a level of independence, even within that relationship. So if something happens, you, you're already kind of insulated. You're a little bit more prepared than you might've been otherwise. Yeah. I mean, if I can kind of step away from the questions for a second, the sure. catastrophe that can happen in in absence of that situation is, and I lived it as a stay-at-home parent for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that paid the bills. I'm the one that did the taxes. My husband was the income earner. And whenever there was an issue with a bill or a tax return, nobody wanted to talk to me. So there was no, I'm sorry, we can't talk to you, Mrs. Bennett. We, had, we have to talk to your husband. Oh, uh, so yeah. having that kind of power 
um, and establishing kind of uh, a, a strong foundation is obviously really, really important. Did you want to add something, Tony? Yeah, no. Again, just back to the question, I guess, do you financially plan for a divorce? Right. I don't think you do. Yeah. You financially plan. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if you're building a plan along the way, I mean, we know it. One of the number one causes of divorce is money. It's money yeah. issues. It's finances. So if you're talking ahead of time, even before we get to marriage, that phase of, you know, what date is it that you share your credit score? You know, that's the kind of thing that, that might go. Okay, that's the second that's day second per day. call. All right, fair. Enjoy the first one. Fair. All right. I'm I'm just thinking, of, you know, <laughs> I say ahead, but really this is behind. Because when you lay the groundwork, sometimes you may not have this ever be an issue, nothing ever worry about. Cool, you laid out some really good points, though. I mean, the idea of independence for each party in there for the betterment, for the betterment of everybody. Absolutely. You know, one big one that I think of, I know we'll get into later, but it's the idea of if one spouse is going to stay at home, perhaps they're the stay at home spouse, they take care of children. What might that mean for them in the event of a divorce from their Social Security? their Mm -hmm. earnings, their income. I mean, when you think about that value of a parent staying home, that's really important. But then you think about, well, I'm not earning any social security credits. I might be getting half of so-and-so's, but that's not a full benefit as if I was working in the workforce, let alone if I was getting a 401k match. So there are a lot of considerations earlier on when we're deciding how we might run our household or what the family's going to look like that will really play into I hate to say how messy a divorce gets, but mm-hmm. how bad it is or financially yeah. impactful. Well, let's say we're 15 years in and we've already done all of that. And now we're dealing with the inevitable, um, you know, separation of of uh, what's mine and what's yours kind of a situation. Why is it why is it so important? And I mean, how is it really different from regular financial planning? I mean, can, can we go through some of those bullet points? How is it different? Uh, the, the, the separation aspect, planning, planning, so financial planning in a divorce versus financial planning in a married couple situation. I think, well, it, it, it does get a little bit more difficult in the sense that when you're working with uh, spouses, everybody's on the same page. You can communicate when we're talking divorce, things get very separate, but at the same time, things haven't really divided yet. So you have to be able to walk a very fine line in terms of what we can communicate, what we can talk about, what to to expect before that the proceedings actually happen. Uh, so divorces, I think, just in general, from a financial standpoint, it, they they are to to your point very complicated. Well, and the other point too, I might add is sure. I don't know how different it is because it's a process. I mean, you want experts involved. You need to have the data. You need to have the documents. You know, if there is a prenuptial agreement, which we'll get to, it makes Mm -hmm. it a lot cleaner. It makes it a lot easier. It makes it very clear. But at the same time, you have to really spell out what was even there in the beginning. So that's something if you go through that or if you've gone through that with an attorney, they'll ask you, what do you own currently? What do you have currently? So you list these things out. At the end of the day, you might have said, well, here's what we have now. And that's usually one of the first phases the attorneys go through is that discovery of what are we even talking about? You know, what is there to divide up here? And that can be contentious. That could take a while, depending upon what's there. Yeah. And then just figuring out what's what's equitable, because I'm sure we'll talk about alimony, child support, that that adds to that equity aspect. And that that another layer that adds complexity. Right. And this is where 
Exactly. And such a transition. I can't help but think of John, our founder here, Sestina, but the idea of when you have a year of major transition, like a death, Mm -hmm. it's probably best to just go on pause for a minute. Take a deep breath. Find out what life's going to hold next. Don't make any big major financial decisions. You may be forced to. There might be some things that are prying upon or thrown upon you. But at the end of the day, hopefully you can take that time, focus on other things just day to day. And then when the cards are dealt, then you can come back to what's my long term plan. And I think organization is key. Obviously, communication is key. But in a divorce situation, uh, things are it's probably so emotional and ramped up. Uh, right. You're probably not tending to those kind of details, but having, you know, your living expenses, you know, very well being having a full awareness of what your living expenses are as a couple so that you can determine what you can live on as a single individual. That's a big part of it, too. So the everyday utilitarian aspect of what do I need? You're hitting one of the major pitfalls of it, though. I mean, you're going from sometimes, whether it's one income or two incomes, either way, that household had one set of expenses. With a divorce, now there's two. Yeah, kids get two Christmases. You know, my my math basically says that's two separate roofs. That's two separate insurance Mm -hmm. bills. That's two separate sets of cars or vehicles, usually. I mean, all the things that you might have been able to save on or get by on as a couple, now each person has to bring that to the table. That's the math, too, where it says, ooh, this is going to add up to, it's not just half and half. Sometimes it's 100%. Would you say that um, to make things smoother as people are starting out, uh, you know, gather your professionals first, your team of professionals, would that be sort of the first step? Always. <laughs> that doesn't just include Always. attorneys, but it includes, you know, potential certified financial planners, insurance agents, CPAs. That Absolutely. Kind of Anyone you can get in your corner, you want in your corner. It's a big decision to make, a lot of financial implications. So you don't want to leave any stone unturned. Well, you guys are CFPs, so I know that you've in, you've encountered, you know, over the years, situations where you've learned uh, great strategies and creative ways to navigate these things. So tell me what are some of the common money problems people face during a divorce and and how can really good planning solve that, especially when things are emotional? Yeah, well, I, I imagine very few uh, divorces actually end up amicably, uh, unfortunately. So very, very serious. So I think one of the, the biggest uh, pitfalls is people not providing all of the information that's asked for. I know that there's a lot of instances, whether you see it, read about it, whatever, but uh, people tend to withhold information, whether that's that's income or, hey, I set up this bank account. My wife doesn't know about it. I'm not going to report it. They will find out. <laughs> that's going to cause a lot more problems for the parties along the way. So be open, be honest, share everything you can. That's going to prevent as much trouble and lawyer fees as well. Um, but yeah, just share. One Something you said there too, Cole, I'd add on is the idea of attorney fees. I mean, the idea of mm-hmm. counsel. There are, and I've been approached by those where they've said things are amicable. We think we can do this on our own. We think we can save the attorney fees. We can just fill out this form. Not Hope a good I idea. see you smile. Not a good idea. All yeah. right, take the words out of my mouth. Why not? <laughs> well, with any sort of legal proceeding, you want separate counsel anyway. But even if you think things are great, they Probably aren't. It's good to have a a court order for whatever reason, especially if kids are involved. Things get a little bit more 
legally, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, in terms of custody agreements or whatever it may be. I'm a product of divorce myself. So uh, having an, an idea of hey, this is what you should expect, do that through the courts, set up custody agreement. Uh, if it ends up being alimony just based on income, you really want that separate representation, someone looking out for your best interest, your benefit. And that's really important to keep in mind because each of those are going to be different sometimes. For sure. I mean, again, we'll have, hopefully be able to get an attorney on here, a couple to interview them and have the experts give us a little advice in the future. But the idea of there's this common, I, I just see it a lot, where perhaps one party stays in the family home, maybe keep the children in mm -hmm. the same school, and there's this expectation, I'll continue paying for that lifestyle, but it's going to stop when the children are out. And there might be a lot of missed opportunity there for that other party, the one who's staying in the family home, perhaps with the children in that school district. They might be leaving a lot on the table, providing that lifestyle for a couple of years. But at the end of the day, they might be giving something up. I mean, again, it's just difficult. This is very utilitarian, but, you know, and it, and you, I know we've kind of touched on it, but let's get a little deeper into the details. You know, how mm -hmm. does somebody who's going through a divorce manage their money while they're going through the divorce? If you're if you're trying to separate everything, I guess um, mediation is going to dictate how well you do that. Right. And we're not attorneys. But on the financial planning side of it, what is what are some bullet points we can give people to start with? I'll let you lead on this one, Tony. Okay. All right, Cole. You took the words out of my mouth on the last one. Let's see if we're thinking like, <laughs> I, I know a big one, and this is also back to Cole's earlier point of even when things are great, when things are good, having some of that financial independence. And for a lot of reasons, you know, if it's a joint bank account and there's an issue at the bank and they don't know an identity or something, you may be you, but they may not let you have access to your account, not because it's not your money, but because their compliance department isn't comfortable moving the funds or releasing them. I mean, there's a lot of horror stories there about mm -hmm. joint bank accounts in a marriage or accounts being perhaps raided. I hate to say it that way, but the idea of, you know, if so-and-so pulls all the funds out of our joint account and there was money there, but now there isn't and the credit cards are canceled, what do I do? And that goes back to the idea of perhaps financial independence while things are well, while things are good for all the right reasons, but hopefully if you have some of that money in your own name, credit in your own name, those are things that will allow you that little bit of a springboard, hopefully to have a cash reserve, some credit in your own name where you can take that next step. And of course, counsel's going to be involved in this. You know, it may not be clear who can take what out of the joint account in the middle of things. And that's, again, where things can get very messy if there isn't counsel involved you might be a very well-meaning person and, oh, that makes sense to me. But then a counsel or the attorney may say, whoa, that's not how it should work. So that's, again, why we're just cautious. And when you're going through this process, make sure you're talking to an expert. And, I mean, is there a way to make it fair outside of a legal counsel? I mean, is that something that that we we can address, you know, on a, on the financial planning side of it? Probably shouldn't. I mean, sure, you could say, well, let's take everything, cut it 50-50, but very rarely is that a, a perfect math or a perfect science because there's other considerations. Again, kids, where's, where well, are they? Let's talk, about, well, let's talk about retirement uh, sure. tools for a second. Somebody has a 401k, somebody has a mm -hmm. Roth. Let's say the married couple, one of them has a 401k, one of them has a Roth. 
one might have a traditional, they might have some real estate. Does everything instantly from a financial planning side have a dollar amount attached to it to enable them to say, okay, that's equitable to this. So you take that and I'll take this. So that's that's a really good question. Okay. So that that clears it up. So honestly, as far as the the retirement plans go, you, you really can't do it outside of a legal setting. Uh, because it requires a court order to separate or transition ownership for retirement plans. So whether it's a 401k and IRA, the term is called a quidro. So a qualified domestic relations order, QDRO. That's what you need from the judge, the attorney, whomever, uh, to say this is the account. This is the split to be effective based on X dollar amount. And then you provide that to the financial institution to actually make that happen. Wow. So when we're talking retirement money, not like brokerage account or bank account, that can be done a little bit easily, but splitting retirement money is very serious. And again, that's at the foundation of that is is a critical component. And that is to have your documents yes. uh, very well set in place and organized sure. and gather your data before anything like this ever happens, you know, in case it ever does happen um, so that you can go through and determine what you have. Right. Again, I can't help but give the financial, my perspective anyway on this, because after seeing these going through a few over the years, not myself, but being a part of the planning process during the proceedings, I, I just feel it. And I wish that there were some attorneys out here who would let me know if I'm wrong or not. But there seems to be this point of view that the kids stay in the same house, stay in the same school, don't disrupt. Typically, it seems it's the male that goes off, maybe starts that new life or lives somewhere else. And in the meantime, that provider, the, usually the mother, mother there, is the one still in the same house, paying the same property tax, doesn't want to disrupt the family, kind of has to carry that, I hate to say, emotional burden or guilt of, I don't want to disrupt the kids. I don't want to pull them out of school. Now, in the meantime, when the attorneys were doing their math in the divorce, that equity in the house might be accounted for both of them to be divided mm-hmm. when the house eventually sells. Now, in the meantime, there might be retirement accounts like you were saying, Cole, that someone gets credited for that gets to grow tax free, that are deferred at the time, that might be better off for one party to have than the other. When you talk fair, this is where it really gets messy. Yeah. Which is fair? Somebody to have a better retirement or perhaps the kids to have that better point at that traumatic time, maybe. And let's circle back to the emotional aspect of money. Oh, yes. I mean, in every aspect, it's emotional. And and I think just people being aware of that, because, again, it's traditional. I feel like that idea of, well, we'll keep the kids. We won't want to disrupt too much. This is how we'll do it. I I hope and encourage people think a little differently. You know, if you're in that scenario and you're getting advice from counsel, ask them why. What does this mean for me long term in my retirement? You know, I know I've spoken with a couple of attorneys where they went, oh, I didn't think about that. And it's because they're not financial planners. And if you're just going through this process of the attorneys involved, you might miss something. Mm -hmm. And you kind of bring us to the next question. Let's talk about the role of spousal and child support. Uh, What's the role of spousal support, alimony and divorce, and how can somebody make sure they negotiate it effectively? I mean, the role is just if there's a mismatch in terms of income between spouses, essentially to provide some form of equity between the two. So Tony had brought up the point before. So one spouse works, maybe another spouse stayed at home. If they get divorced, that's going to be a spouse without income. So that that's essentially where that alimony or spousal support comes in to provide some, some form of equity, provide some form of support. And as far as the 
duration for that, that can last almost indefinitely. Essentially, that that's all based on that. Uh, uh, I guess attorneys are based on the, the judge's orders, rather. Um, so that one's uh, kind of where you can negotiate. Child support's a little bit different. So right, we're basically providing support for children until usually they're 18, at which point that support stops. So that, that's support, support meaning, I mean, how this and we're not attorneys, so yeah. this is not something, a conversation we want to kind of take on in, in that aspect. But if there is a financial aspect to that question, how do you determine how to no- negotiate what your kid needs, what yeah. you take into consideration just besides clothing, food and shelter? Yeah, so child support's usually more income based. So that one's okay. Well, my ex-spouse at this point makes X. I'm the the primary uh, caregiver, the custodian for the kids. They're going to pay me a percentage, generally, of whatever that is. That may be multiplied by the number of kids, but that that's kind of the idea there. That one may be a little bit more difficult to negotiate. That one's a little more open and shut. Uh, it's just uh, the uh, alimony aspects. That one's that one's a little bit more negotiable. I, I figure that one's not just based strictly on income. Rather, uh, what do I actually need for my support? How are we going to make that equitable? And we know each state's a little different too. I mean, you said it, Cole. We're not okay. attorneys. There's a lot of caveats there. Some states are different. They'll raise the ages on things. But the idea, like you were saying, Trip, what does support mean? That might mean saving for college having some requirement in there to be funding a 529, that could mean having life insurance. You know, hey, if I'm relying on the spousal support and something happens to them, well, then what happens? Sure. There might be a need for life insurance in that discussion as well. So there's a few things. Parental life insurance or life insurance for the child? Oh, good question. Parental. So perhaps that parent who was the main breadwinner, for instance, if something happened to them and they were the one paying child support, well, then that child support stopped. And if there wasn't an estate, maybe they're a big spender or something, you could dramatically see your life change. Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, with the good counsel and attorneys, hopefully within that divorce or quidro, Mm -hmm. the domestic relations order, there might be a decree saying so-and-so has to carry so much life insurance. And that's where we think the financial planning piece of this can come in as well, because it's really important to make sure that's staying current. And that, that's that's actually a great point just to speak up there, because I feel like that's one that's probably missed the most is that we need to maintain a certain amount of life insurance. Because I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of divorce decrees over the years. Unfortunately. We, we request those. We review those. I mean, life happens. We know it does. So just to be on top of that and uh, we're, we're asking questions, probing questions or, hey, we saw this you know about this and oftentimes they're surprised by it. Um, so uh, what the, are some of the surprises? Well, it really just that, that life insurance. Aspect. I mean, definitely are you talking about beneficiary on the beneficiary side? No, or? Just actually having life insurance. And you do want to list that ex-spouse as the idea so that that might be one of those gaps. Hey, I'm divorced now. I'm going to name the new spouse or name whomever. Uh, that that creates some issues with the courts. It's yeah. very clear with that divorce decree. We might almost call it pledged. You know, I'll try to simplify a it a little word. bit. But the idea is, you know, couples married, they get divorced. That person who's left the household, they're out earning. The other one's still taking care of children, receiving child support and alimony. Something happens to that person who's in the workforce. They've got to maintain some life insurance. Well, that's what we think anyway. It's not always a requirement. Sometimes it's overlooked. And then if something happens, you're wait, stuck. Wait a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt. So 
you and I are married. We're getting divorced. Yep. We don't like each other. Oh, we didn't. And, and it's I, fault was it? It, <laughs> it's always his fault. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> can I take out a life? I mean, we're not insurance agents. Let's say that. Yeah, but this is a great can question. I take out a life insurance policy on you, even though we're not married? And do you have to sign for that? I mean, how does that work? Well, now we're getting into the, my one of my favorite insurable interest. Oh, insurable interest. That's the word of the day. <laughs> phrase of the day. If you have an insurable interest in someone, you can typically buy life insurance on them. Do you have or to prove that? I mean, what's that look like on paper? It usually goes through what's your relationship to the insured. That's how they ask it on the box on the form. But the idea would be, depending upon the divorce decree or what's mm -hmm. going on, it might be, Tony, we need you to carry $2 million of life insurance until the kids are 26. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've got to go buy my $2 million policy. I've got to show proof of coverage. And Tony Hopefully, has to pay for it. Yeah, yep. And hopefully you're asking for proof of, hey, did you pay your premium this year, knucklehead? Mm -hmm. Are you sure you're paid up? Can I prove that? And that's the kind of communication that hopefully attorneys are doing. Talking to me like that is what got us in a divorce in the first place. Uh -huh, exactly. Right? <laughs> I, was there. I was nervous. <laughs> well, these are the things, though, that, you know, could be overlooked. And the emotions, we keep saying it, but you're worried about the kids. You're worried about other things. You're worried about family. It's a mm -hmm. rocking time. You're not necessarily worried about what's my Social Security going to look like. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're trying to bring it whole, whole uh, all the way around here and be holistic. Oh, I think... In a regular couple situation, married couple situation, I don't think people even address Social Security until so until retirement is like on the yeah. horizon. Yeah, that's not something people get into the practice of even looking at when those. I mean, I I, I uh, can relate to that. I I would look at it and what am I supposed to do with this? You know, okay, is or is it right? I don't know if it's right. So do your research. Check I'll your look. earnings report. Right. Make sure it is. Right. Right. Every couple's a little different. Every family's a little different. But like we've been leading in with sometimes the idea of independence, mm -hmm. you know, having that part-time job maybe in the summers, doing something, helping the kids, but also working. I mean, these are the kinds of things, too, where you'll have an earnings record. You'll have some credit history, perhaps an independent bank account. I mean, these are the kinds of things that everyone's different. And dare I say, when some person is earning a large amount of money, it's a lot easier to say, no, you take care of all this. I've got it. Right. And deep down, that may not always be best. Mm -hmm. You might want to still be looking out for yourself, not selfishly, but because that's going to make everybody better. What are some of the mistakes people can make when they're on a financial planning side? I mean, we've gone through a lot of things they can do proactively, but in your in your many years, uh, can, what kinds of things can you suggest would be mistakes financial planning mistakes to make in, in, in divorce. I'm going to go back to the beginning. I, again, I'm jumping in here, Cole, but to me, it's not the mistake in divorce. It's the mistake in marriage. And one of the things I think we've learned or say is please don't get married for financial reasons. And there's so much behind this. And especially with those where there might be a benefit or health insurance or some sort of living situation gets more affordable. And I see you laughing here. Cole, yeah, I can think of a few instances. These that, are the that, things that, that they come up. We know how point. life happens. But when you're not in it, dare I say, for the right reasons and finances is not the right reason, then we're probably on the path of going down that divorce road anyway, because we weren't in alignment at the beginning. And that's the idea of, you know, what date do you share your credit score? When do you talk about how you save for retirement? You know, what are your values on debt or savings? You know, if you're doing all those things all along the way, hopefully you don't get rocked one day with that notice of, oh, my gosh, we're cutting everything in half. I, 
I'm blindsided. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think to protect myself. Yeah. I mean, that's the worst scenario. Is there a situation where a prenup becomes relevant beyond the obvious? Uh, somebody, one one of the individuals has comes into the relationship with a lot more assets mm-hmm. than the other. Is there yeah, any uh, other reason for it? Uh, honestly, you should always have a prenup. Uh, that's kind of the funny thing. It doesn't really so matter what you have, have what the income. And most people don't. Most people don't even like to say that word because they think it's going to bring bad luck to the relationship. But reality is, as long as everything's great, it's just a piece of paper, right? It didn't matter, never mattered, everything's fine, but it does protect the individuals in the event of a divorce. No, I don't like to show my cards too much here, Tracy. (laughs) Put me on the spot here, but before you marry Tracy, was there a a prenup? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Let's let's go back back to them, though. Back to that. I mean, again, I'm sharing here because it's real, but... My wife and I, when we went through the process of dating, engagement, going through things, she knew my background. She knows I'm a financial planner, partner in a financial planning company. You know, what does that look like? All those years you were building something, I was doing my thing too. Well, we went through, we had an agreement, we had counsel involved, we did our thing. It's okay. I mean, we had to make sure everybody knows where things are at. And I think it's that transparency that hopefully collects dust for 80, 90 years and then just, you know, get shred one day or something. But it's transparency and it allows for some kind of framework that if ever something happens, which you don't expect. And I think that's the hard part, like you were saying, Cole, for some people to maybe wrap their head around. I'm going into this fun, exciting thing. Why do you want me to talk about the worst result? Right. And that's the hard part. But when you're talking about the worst result, so again, like a business, no one wants to talk about separation while things are good. But that's the time you can agree. That's the time you can really discuss and be open about things. So the idea of, you know, what what's our living situation? What's fair? You know, what kind of support did we do for family together, separate? You know, these are all things that if you can do that when times are healthy and you can come to some neutral kind of groundwork, it's a lot easier than fighting when things are really hot. That, that's Absolutely. my thought on it. It's peace of mind. We like yeah, to that's one of our favorite things. Yeah. Nice. All right. So, Cole, I'm going to ask you a question. What sure. tip would you give somebody that I mean, we, we talked about how not to get there, uh, what to lay, lay, lay the groundwork so that yeah. if you did get, end up in a divorce, you could recover. But let's just say somebody didn't do all those things mm-hmm. and they're in the throes of a divorce, a divorce. What tip would you give them to protect their financial security? Uh, so we're already in it. Uh, so at this point, uh, accounts are set up, right? We're, we're, we're midst divorce. Make sure we're setting right. the stage, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, but we'll go back to it. Just get separate counsel. Uh, you want to reach out to an attorney. I mean, that, that's priority number one when we're getting a divorce. Separate counsel, set the stage. Here's what I have. Here's what they have. Now what? Because um, otherwise, what we're looking at uh, maybe what's what's already there, but there's not really a lot you can do. Maybe not a lot that you should do without getting into some issues as far as hiding money, doing anything like that. Right. We don't want to do that. Um, So I think just work very closely with that attorney. Tony, what about you? Uh, Same as Cole's. I'm sealing his again. If you're so paranoid or so worried about overpaying a professional, at least shop around. I mean, at least shop around. You will find some attorneys who are very willing to work with you and to come up with either a payment plan or they have a flat fee for things. I mean, this is where if you put in the effort and it means phone calls and not getting called back, getting off of work and making a meeting at an odd time. I mean, this is going to be somebody that you're relying on to make a lot of big decisions that you may not even know about. 
you know, they're almost like your legal fiduciary. They're going to be setting things up in their mind, what's right. And the better your relationship or the better you can communicate with them, it's going to help this whole process if you ever get there. So to me, that's the big deal is make sure the person you're going to work with as your counsel is someone you're comfortable with, you're familiar with the billing setup. It's something that you really buy into. Well, this is uh, these are simplified questions and s- fairly simplified answers, uh, but should provide some clear understanding uh, into the insights uh, of the topic. And uh, we hope it was helpful. Um, we are a fee-only financial planning firm. And if you have any questions about this topic or any others, feel free to give us a call. We're happy to sit down with you for a free consultation uh, for one hour to talk to a certified financial planner professional. Uh, check out our website, Managing to Be Wealthy. Click on the pictures, get to know us a little bit. Uh, we love what we do. We are about helping people. Uh, we hope we can give you some tips and tricks to do things better. So thank you for joining us. Stay tuned. We've got some fun things on deck coming uh, later uh, that we will be announcing. And uh, we hope that you'll come back and learn more and increase your financial literacy. We are managing to be wealthy. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Managing to be Wealthy podcast. We help you make the most of your money without any hidden fees or commissions. Remember, the best investment you can make is in yourself and your financial future. Keep listening for more expert advice and tips. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. To schedule a one-hour complimentary consultation to discuss your financial concerns, visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com.